Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get this hour of Flames Talk going. It is Friday, November 17th. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday, which means it's time for the Eric Francis Hour, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18 plus, please play responsibly. Steinberg with you, and now we say hello to sports, that's Eric Francis, back on the Eric Francis Hour on this Friday. Hello, buddy. How are you, my man? I'm good, how are you? I'm excellent. You look very very tanned when I saw you earlier. You're very tanned, looks like you were somewhere hot. Indeed, I did play a little hooky while the team was on its uh, little road trip there. But uh, yeah, exciting, excited to be back. And it's uh, kind of interesting when I left, uh, things weren't as rosy for the Calgary Flames. Obviously I monitored them closely during that road trip, but uh, quite a turnaround they've authored of, of late. And and I, it made me think of that comment I made to you two or three weeks ago when I said, when everybody thinks the sky's falling, right? covered this team for so many years and you think sometimes the sun's not going to rise the next day and it's never... It's often never as bad as you think it's going to be. And uh, lo and behold, here we are, you know, after a six-game losing skid, they're 4-1-1 and one, and looking a whole lot better, and, and, and things look a lot rosier. And I think people have a dramatically di- – just listening for, to the calls after your show last night. Oh, after you're the game, listening. Oh, I always do, buddy, on my way home. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it, it's just amazing, as you know – from game to game, from hour to hour, how things can change. But certainly from six-game swing to a six-game swing, the tone of the calls were a whole lot different last mm-hmm. night than they were a week or two earlier. Yeah, no question. And, and I think that the, the it's, it's weird because there's an overwhelming sense of, I don't know, just feels like this group is, is teetering on big decisions. And, and you and I have talked many times about you know, are they going to go in a different direction? Is a pivot point, is is that upcoming? Are, are they going to maybe make a couple of key decisions that, that put them on a slightly different or dramatically different path? But the way they've played in their last six after, so they start the year 2-7-1, and one, and that is um, kind of finished off with that six-game losing skid. They go into Seattle, they snap the skid, and they're 4-1-1 and one since they dropped the puck in that game. The... the the noise still exists, but something that you were you were asking about prior to the game against Vancouver, and and even asking a little bit about at practice earlier on on Fridays, you know th- they have done a pretty good job of being able to keep things on the rails, or in their case, maybe get things back on the rails in all of this uh, with all of this noise surrounding them. There's a lot going on outside of that locker room when people are talking about this team, and yet as that's all swirling. They've rolled off this stretch of four one and one, and they've looked pretty good during this six game stretch. Yeah, and 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 I think they deserve a ton of credit for the way they've they've done that. It's not easy, you know. Like I mean, the if you listen to you know a lot of noise from the outside, uh, you know the team's destined for you know a significant lottery pick, and 
and all these sort of things. And I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but I'm, I'm just, you know, when the whole world seems pretty doom and gloom on you and, and you start and you lose six in a row to basically open the season, you could understand why morale was low. And, and you do start to wonder if you're ever going to pull off a victory. And in Huberto's case, you're, you're wondering if you're ever going to score a goal and, and other guys who've been in similar funks, you know, it just, it's got to be hard. So I, I give them a ton of credit for being able to turn it around and doing so in, in somewhat dramatic fashion. Four one one is nothing to sneeze at, and uh, especially given from where they were coming mm-hmm. from. So I, you know, and it, you know, it's a it's a team that obviously significant change is forthcoming. There's no question about that. Nobody can debate that. But I really believe that you know, and I guess we'll get into this maybe later in, in our chat, but. You look at what Vancouver's gone through the last couple of years, and they had some really tough decisions to make with some core players. And in most of the cases, they decided to stick with the core, even though it wasn't looking like the right choice. And it sure is paying off right now with the start they've had this year, and they sure look like they made a lot of the right moves. But but anyway, we can get into that later. I just think that you know patience is the number one uh, mantra for management, and I think it's served them well um throughout this now, now it, it there are going to be people people say well in the summer you, you exercise patience and it led to this this horrific start i don't agree um their hands were tied most of the summer with contracts uh i just thought they they, they did they've done the right thing to this point to not make any knee-jerk reactions but they certainly are getting their ducks in a row because at some point obviously major decisions are going to have to be made on all these ufas and other people Table that and, and table not only the, the Vancouver stuff, because I want to get into that, and also table the whole idea that, you know, change is definitely forthcoming because I, I think there is a, a group of people that, that maybe doesn't want to see that or might push back on that. So let's uh, table that for a little bit later on. But let's instead, b- before we do that, let's make more noise um, because why not? That's what we do. Um, I, I Now, I... During games, home and road, I'm doing my own intermission show, right? So I don't get to listen to you and, and Ryan and Sarchi do uh, your intermission panel for home games. Or when you're on the road, I don't get to listen to you and Rye uh, cutting up what we've seen in the prior 20 minutes. Uh, but I do get reports every once in a while when Eric Francis might say something inflammatory. I hear, I hear you went on quite the uh, Francis tirade about Nikita Zadorov on Thursday night. That's just what my sources are telling me. Yeah, you're funny. Your sources are correct. Uh, you know, again, while I was away, that the Zadorov thing happened, and uh, you know, the, this is selfish nature nature of 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 what he's done by, you know, by by you know asking for a trade, and there's no question that he did it in collaboration with his agent. Whether the agent put the tweet out before he was kind of expecting it or before his knowledge, at the end of the day, it was, this is all orchestrated and and something that it's incredibly disruptive and uh, i'll stop short of calling it unprofessional because it's a business and if you think that that's the best thing for you on a personal level then i guess that's how you think it is to act professionally um but boy did this ever rub management the wrong way uh, the players in that room were disgusted by by what he's done here at a, at, at a very awful time at a, at a real, he really comes across as a real quitter to me, uh, by by timing this in the midst of the team. You know, at that point they'd 
only one, I think, two in a row. Just just before they they played in Toronto and lost that game in a mm-hmm. shootout. But but you know, a real bad time for something like this. And of course, there is a process. If you want to be traded, you go through management. You talk about it. You know, one thing I haven't quite been able to get to the bottom uh, of is whether or not even the coaching staff was made aware that apparently Nikita is very upset with the ice time and he's getting the fifth most ice time on this team. Well, you know, aside from the the chutzpah from his agent suggesting he was the best defenseman on the Flames team, I mean, he is their fifth best defenseman and he certainly shows flashes of being one of their better defensemen, no question about it. Mm-hmm. I think he's played quite well this year. And I know he's really popular with the fan base earlier this year, not just because of the way he's played, but because of the way, you know, he's, he's offensively he's pushed forward. He's, he's a big hitter and that's always popular. And what he said about the, the war in Ukraine and like there were a lot, every time he spoke, people are like, man, I love this guy. But what he's done with this trade request has undone a lot of that. That rubs everybody the wrong way and it puts the management in a terrible situation and, and I'll say this, like if I'm Craig Conroy, I'm not going to use the term, I'm going to let him sit and rot because that doesn't benefit the team either. Um, but I certainly don't trade him anytime soon because I think that sets an awful precedent when every time somebody will ask for a trade. I mean, if that was the case, then anybody who's frustrated right now would just raise their hand and say, yeah, hey, agent, put out a, ple- a tweet saying I want to be traded. And then a week later, I'll be gone out of this mess in Calgary. It doesn't work that way. It shouldn't work that way. And that's not the way to conduct yourself. So yeah, I was a little, I'm pretty hard on him. And I think, I think even he said, if I was, if I was one of my teammates, I'd be pissed. And in talking to players since I've returned here after this road trip, it's apparent that yes, they are pissed. They were pissed. I'm not sure that's gone away. It's been addressed though. They had a team meeting where they addressed it head on. And I would have loved to have been in that meeting, listen to that. But uh, you know, it's been openly discussed and not well received and and that's not good for the team yet the team has responded well since so i don't know if you disagree with any of that if you think that it it wasn't selfish if you think that conroy should trade him right away um i i just think that i have very strong feelings on it when i read about this after that game i was i i just thought that's just an awful thing to do to your organization that's been nothing but good for you and an organization that what three or four months ago you were saying you'd love to play for for the next four or five years suddenly you're off to a bad start and everything changes i don't like it one bit it uh it was it was really strange so i'll take you through how it went down from my perspective so the the game goes friday um they lose 5-4 in a shootout to the maple leafs and then without question very calculated timing uh, all of a sudden Kevin Weeks sends this tweet tweet out it's actually Logan Gordon who sends me a message saying you see this and I go oh geez there's ESPN insider Kevin Weeks via Dan Milstein the agent who says that geez yep Nikita Zadorov has requested a trade for, uh, from the Calgary Flames so I start sending some texts I find out very quickly that uh, the the Flames found out, teammates, management, coaching staff, they found out about this the exact same way I found out about it and everybody else found out about it. You're like, okay, well, this was not communicated to the team prior to Dan Milstein going public, so it just turned the postgame show into a complete whirlwind and, like, whose fault is this? How could, how could the Flames allow Nikita to get so sour that he requested a trade or what is Nikita Zadorov doing? And then Saturday, they don't make him available prior to the Ottawa game, but they do make him available available post game in Ottawa where he addresses it. And so basically I, I, the, the way that I've read it is that 
and and just from what I understand or or how I kind of piece things together, I think Nikita went to his agent at some point and said, yeah, maybe a change of scenery is the way to go. I think that he was upset about the ice time. And I also think that there's uh, been a, a little bit of frustration that he said, hey, I'm willing to sign long-term here. I, I want, like, let's let's get something done. And the Flames have been like, yeah, we're waiting and seeing. As we've talked about, they're in a wait-and-see mode. The, the, everything's paused because they got to figure out what the hell they are and what direction they're going to go. And mm-hmm. so it's been like, and in the summertime, they had to figure out what was going on with Hannafin and Lindholm, and those guys were rightfully so the priorities in terms of they can't do anything until contracts or trades are figured out with those two. So I think there was also a little bit of frustration there that contract still isn't done. I want to be here, but we're not having conversations. Okay, so you go to your agent, and and basically I think – as a player, you know your agent's M.O. And so I think that, I don't know if he went and said, hey, go put something out public after the Toronto game. It was more like, this is in your hands and you probably expect at some point something's going to come out. Not unlike we've seen with Alan Walsh or Darren Ferris in the past either. So that's kind of the way I read it. And I react to it very similarly to you in that, what good does this do for your client? What good does it do for Zadorov to kind of tacitly um, give consent for his agent to do this? And what good does it do for the client, for the agent to go about doing it the way that he does? All it does is piss off the general manager, as you said. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I can't trade you right away now, so you've just delayed the process as opposed to coming to me behind closed doors and doing it. And B, because it messes with the team's leverage, too, you have to almost, what did you say when we were talking off the air? You almost have to go into like a, a, a moratorium or a holding pattern on it and be like, no, no, we, we need to get our leverage back before we can start making trade. So I don't know what the point of ever going public about it is because I think it almost always has the opposite of the desired effect. At least that's the way I, I read it. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, the... the it was an emotional response, if you ask me, and uh, you know, from from the agent slash player, uh, you know, because things aren't going that well. And and I'll tell you that I, I remember asking you, I think, with our hit a couple weeks ago, um, of the four unrestricted free agents, would the one the one that I think you'd, you'd really that I think I could see a, the the Calgary Flames signing would be Zadorov. Like he's a, you know he had a good start, um, he's very popular. Um, he, you know, he's really grown defensively, you know, he's not an adventure like he used to be when he first got here. Um, and I thought that maybe, and because he also really wanted to be here or so he said last year. And, um, I thought that maybe, you know, he was going to stay, but anyway, then you do this and then there's just no way. So, so again, you've, you've ended that possibility. And then I think it also opens up more questions. Like, what is this, his fourth team in the national hockey league? And I think other GMs start to look around and go, well, Jesus, you know, you remember when he kind of burned some bridges in Colorado, you know, he upset Nathan McKinnon with some of the things he said afterwards. And I guess he thought it was jokingly, whatever the case may be. Um, You start to wonder, is there a reason why he's not sticking in any of these cities? And so uh, a lot of questions get asked that shouldn't have to have been asked. And, uh, you know, anyway, I I feel like too, Zadorov, will understand the criticism. Now, there's probably part of them that'll say, look, again, you guys only see 10% of all the business stuff that goes on. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes. And that's fair. That's fair. Maybe, 
Maybe the Flames haven't offered him at all or said, you know what, there's no chance we're going to sign you. I, I don't know. Uh, but I do know that this was the wrong way to go about it because it just brought all that much more attention and unwanted negativity yeah. towards a team that was already facing enough of it. And that's that by definition is a selfish move. And I, 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 I just know that if, if players were to, if we were to inject some players with some truth serum and bring them out in front of the microphones and ask, what did you think about what your teammate did? Uh, I think they'd have similar words to the ones that I just expressed. And now, I mean, the, the other thing that, a public trade request does is I think it puts a player in an uncomfortable situation because it took Brad true living took, I want to say like 30 games to trade Sam Bennett in 2021. That trade request came out. I want to say like eight games into the season and they didn't trade him in that 56 game season until deadline day when he got moved to Florida. And obviously that's worked out. Great guns for Sam Bennett. He's really found a home with the Panthers and, and a lot of flames fans are happy for him. But, you know, that was a situation where I think very similarly, it's like, okay, agent wants to do this, not a fan of that tact, A, and B, yeah, we're going to, whether it's because of spite or because it's just because you want to get your leverage back, it's going to take some time now for Zadorov to get moved, which is why when when he played on Saturday, I don't know if you saw this or not, but I saw some people on online being like, how are they playing this guy? They can't be playing Zadorov. They got to protect their asset. They got to sit him. I'm like, no, it's going to take like it could take months for them to trade him. They can't yeah. sit him for months. He's he's a pro. He's a professional. Whether you've requested a trade or not, you're expected to keep playing at the high level that you're accustomed to playing like Jacob Chikrin played under a trade request for two years and Travis <laughs> Hamannick played with a trade request on, on him for a year. And, and we've seen it. Sam Bennett did it for 30 games. And if, if you're going to go about doing this, especially if you're going to be okay with it going public like this, you kind of have to deal with the discomfort of, of playing with that hanging over your head. And, you know, I will give him credit because I think he has played well since it. And, you know, obviously he's had some very uncomfortable conversations with teammates, I would assume, and probably management. And even around town, I'm sure people, he knows people are looking at him much differently now. Like, if you don't want to be part of this, we don't want you to be part of it either. So get out of here. Um, it's really changed his public image, you know, overnight, and it's his fault. Uh, and so, but but it is incumbent upon him to continue to play well to help facilitate a trade. I mean, if, if he started playing poorly uh then not only are you unpopular in the room and and that even widens the divide between you and your teammates but also now you're harder to trade and you're more of a burden on the organization than you should be so it just doesn't make any sense at all and and again he has played well of late so i give him credit i'm not really sure I, i think that the end game in all of this is to not go into unrestricted free agency being labeled a fifth defenseman who's only playing 18 minutes a night. I kind of got, that's the gist I got from what Milstein put out, his agent put out as a, as, as a tweet, you know, and, and, and I'll just say, you know, I'm not sure. I do think he could be a top four defenseman on probably half the teams in the national hockey league. Cause I do think he's, he's, he's that good a defenseman, but here you're number five and people understand that you're number five because there are four damn good defensemen in mm-hmm. front of you. And again, if he had exhibited a little more patience, there's a good chance that probably one of the other defensemen will go sooner and he'll finish the season. He could finish the season as a top four defenseman if a Tanev is traded or if a Hannafin is traded. But, you know, again, all that's a moot point now. 
I, and I do wonder, um, I do wonder if some of the comments made earlier that, look, we, we loved them. Our, from our standpoint, we love them because it gives us something to talk about. Um, but, you know, the comments he made about too many individuals and, you know, Daryl's gone, so excuses are gone and that type of stuff. I, I do wonder if even those comments might have gone over like, We've got enough distractions. We don't mm-hmm. need that going getting out there publicly. And then Michael Backlin and Blake Coleman and others are are having to address that publicly and saying, "Well, no, he didn't mean that. He meant this." And then he comes back and says, "No, I didn't say it." Like, I just like it's like we got enough distractions. We got enough. We got guys without contracts. We got this guy saying that this contract's going to happen, and another insider saying it's not. And we got guys getting suspended and guys getting hurt. Like, we don't need this. I, I wonder if that also has played into how we've gotten to this point uh, now a week removed from Nikita's trade request getting public. That, that feels like it might be part of the narrative too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and as you just kind of summed up and I, the other day I wrote a column about just like, think about what they've gone through in 15, well, 16 games now, but suspensions, like a couple, you know, injuries, many, um, rookie debuts which can be disruptive it's turned out to be one of the biggest blessings of all this for sure for sure and it also eases the transition when they do eventually have to trade out some core pieces and decide to go younger uh people are very optimistic and excited about these young guys uh i'm not saying they're going to be superstars but the fact that they're competent and it looks like they can be everyday nhlers is is exciting for people but the amount of turmoil and setbacks and negativity that has surrounded this team early on uh, I got to say, they woke up this morning just four points out of a playoff spot with 66 games to go. And I know there's all those stats out there about if you get behind the eight ball by Thanksgiving, then there's only a 13% chance and all these other numbers. But I just have a hard time writing a team off with 66 games left and only four points out of a playoff spot. Like, mm-hmm. it's never as bad as it seems. And I'll keep coming back to that. And now we're seeing... Perfect proof of that. And I laughed today. Didn't we all laugh when I think Danny Austin asked if uh, maybe oh, Rasmus, yeah. too much was made of, of the six-game losing streak and the, the poor start of the team. And Rasmus kind of rolled his eyes and said, what? You guys make too much of that? <laughs> it was great. So, you know, the, the mood in that room is a whole lot lighter. And I do think there's, I dare say there's optimism, not just for this season potentially, but but moving forward, there's newfound optimism with guys like Pospisil and Zari coming up and everyone's excited for Pelche to come back. And like optimism is not a word we've heard much of in the last, what, you know, you know, the first, the first month of the season, but over the last week and a half, you're starting to see more of it. Okay. Eric Francis hour, Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Steinberg along with you this hour of Flames Talk. So let's transition it kind of. So we got, we, we know that Zadorov has requested a trade, and there is a very, very good chance that between now and the March 8th trade deadline that Nikita Zadorov will be playing elsewhere. You said it's inevitable that change is coming, right? And so I'm curious as to where you are on that. Is there is there a way that the narrative can shift back to we got to stick with this group in that the, the priority once again becomes re-signing Hannafin and Lindholm to extensions as opposed to moving them. Is there a world where that happens in your eyes, or do you believe that we're kind of now 
on that course and the trains down that track that these UFAs are probably going to get dealt. And that doesn't mean that they're going to completely tear it down to the studs, but that they are going to go a little bit younger here for a little bit to try to get to a different level. Where are you on that conversation? I still think that the majority of those guys, which means at least three of the four are gone. And, uh, you know, I, I really do. And I, and I, and I, I think it's a combination of I'm not sure that they still really want to be here, especially in light of the, the pain that this organization has gone through over the last month and a half and all of last year. Um, I think that they were willing to be here if the price was right and exorbitant. Uh, and I, but I don't know uh, that, you know, the, the hunger is still there for the organization to pay that top dollar for these guys, uh, particularly Hannafin and Lindholm. Um, I mean, right now, I'll just throw it at you because we got all caught up in the numbers and, and yeah. what's it going to take to sign it, Elias Lindholm. And, you know, the number was always right around $9 million is probably what it's going to take. And I, I've always kind of said on the open market, I think that he's probably going to get more than that uh, when there are several teams that are eligible to bid. Now, again, budgets are tight around the league and agents look at that and they need to, to understand that there's not a lot of openings for $10 million players anymore um, anytime soon. I just not sure that Elias Lindholm's been playing like a $9 million player either. Like his stock is certainly not as high, I think, as it was uh, in the off season. And I, I don't know if you think that's completely No, I think that that's incorrect. very fair. Yeah, and, and, and I know he had a good game last night, and, and I'm not... That's a big step. For, like that, that, he needed that game, and that, that hopefully yeah. that's, a, that's a stepping stone, right? Yeah, and I'm not suggesting he's not... Uh, a hell of a great two-way forward one of the best in the league no question i'm not taking anything away from him it's just that you know we live in a world where it's what have you done for me lately and yeah he can always fall back on the numbers he's posted over the last several years and the reputation he has but still if you come in this year and you have you know like a 55 point season or something like that i'm not sure anybody can pay nine plus million dollars for a guy who, who got 55 points as a top line center so things change things evolve things devolve uh, I still think that it's a remote chance that the bulk of those guys resign in Calgary. Uh, but um, again, stay tuned. Stay tuned. It, it, things have changed dramatically just in the last week and a half, haven't they? They have. Um, okay, so where are you on, because Vickers and I talked a little bit about this on Thursday's Flames Talk. I'm curious as to where you are. You mentioned it right off the top of this hour. The potential for Calgary to go in a similar direction as Vancouver has gone, and the Canucks are one of the talks of the NHL with the now 12-4 and, what, 12-4-2 and two start they're off to to the season, 12-4-1, um, and one, whatever it is. They're, they're a team that has gotten back to being pretty good pretty quickly, and they did so by, as you said, sticking with their group of players and, and not dramatically altering their core group. So what type of similarities do you see with where the Flames are compared to where the Canucks were. Well, I, I mean, I think it's it starts, you know, with Besser. Besser has, you know, not – he's having a great start this year, and he's been fantastic. And last year he had a trade request out there, and part of the reason why they didn't trade him was because they couldn't trade him. I mean, it was it was going to be hard to peddle that guy in his contract um, given the way he was not producing. Um, they stuck with him. At the end of the year, he decided that he didn't want to get traded. And he changed his mind, which is, sounds kind of familiar because in Calgary, you know, it sounded like guys were out the door, then guys are suddenly interested in staying. I mean, everybody's flip-flopping around here. 
the same with Miller. It, it looked like that was going to be gross a gross overpayment for that guy for the for the contract he signed. Yet they stuck with him, and there was you know there was no uh, people debated all over the city of Vancouver whether or not they should trade him or if they could trade him if they if they wanted to. They basically ended up signing him instead of their captain Bo Horvat, and it's tough to say because Horvat's now in playing with the Islanders and not playing as well I would assume certainly not at the level he was when he was playing in Vancouver but it looks like they made the right move there when they had to make a choice between those two guys and I'll go back even further um you know Thatcher Demko and the Jacob Markstrom situation I think that the probably the the smarter money would have been to stick with Markstrom and then trade Demko and then get a haul of players because Demko is so highly touted as a young goalie. They opted to just let Marky, uh, Markstrom leave for nothing and stuck with Demko and, of course, don't get anything else in return. Again, that proved to be the right move probably for the organization too because Demko is, you know, well, probably the front runner right now to win the Vesna this mm-hmm. year. It's early. But anyway, these are all very tough decisions on core pieces in the organization. And it was patience that allowed them to make what I think was the right call in every situation. And, and again, that's what I think this general manager is exercising here um, because it changes. Everything changes day to day, month to month. And we may be looking at an entirely different situation in February for this team. They could be solidly in a playoff spot by then. That makes their decision probably even harder. The easier decision is made if this team falls out of a playoff spot and is nowhere near one in right. February, right? <laughs> but but that's not what the ownership wants. That's not what this general manager wants. Uh, I, I think the fans are somewhere in the middle. They don't. They they're not sure what they want because a lot of them want to rebuild. But those are the parallels I see between those two organizations. The uh, the only the only thing, and and, and I, I actually think that there's uh, most of what you said is pretty bang on. The only thing that I keep cautioning is. The Flames right now do not have that guy that you can build around the same way. And I'm talking about, in their case, three of them in that they're all 27 or younger right now. Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes, and Elias Pettersson. Jacob Markstrom's a hell of a goaltender. We both agree on that front when he's on, but he's also over 30. And from a skater perspective, do the Flames have anybody to kind of anchor uh, a rebuild on the fly like like Hughes or Pedersen. Pedersen had 100 points plus last year. He's on pace for more this year. Quinn Hughes looks like he's running away with the Norris Trophy as it stands right now. Again, early. But do they have anybody like that to kind of be the group that you build around? And that's the that's going to be the big thing is who is the Flames' core? If they, if they do decide to rebuild on the fly, do they have a core that compares or you has comparable pieces? And right no. now, I just I don't see it. No, I agree with that. There's, there's certainly the high-end talent is not there. Or if you even want to make some comparables and say, you know, compare first-line centers and all that, and, and, and the Flames have them, but the... Going on. End. And, and I get that, but yeah. I'm just saying... In terms of turmoil, debate, uh, there, there's so much that, yeah. that that is, you know, there were a lot of similarities, I think, between those two organizations. Yep, I uh, I agree on that front. And 
See what the Flames decide to do here in the next three months. Uh, alongside Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca, who's got a uh, brand new piece out at Sportsnet.ca on Martin Pospisil, which we'll get to very shortly. My name is Pat Steinberg. We are underway on the Eric Francis Hour on this Friday. The Eric Francis Hour brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit the horses. 18 plus please play responsibly you're locked on flames talk only on sportsnet 960 the fan and it is a friday which means the eric francis hour steinberg and eric francis of sportsnet and sportsnet.ca along with you tell us about your chat with uh, martin pospisil after practice on Friday afternoon, the article is out now at Sportsnet.ca. It uh, I have not I have not read it, but I've talked to you, and I I know a little bit about Martin's backstory. So I'm I'm curious as to what you were able to uh, get from the young Flames forward after practice. Tell us a little bit about your latest at Sportsnet.ca. Well, I was, I was fascinated by. The uh, you know there he was last night a rookie and we'd heard about his jam we've we've seen the penalty minutes he's been accruing throughout his career, as as Brad Trilling always just used to say he could find trouble in church. Uh, this guy's just a disturber, right? And that's the you know he's got some skill for sure, but he also brings energy, physicality, and he disturbs people and teams. And uh, we hadn't really seen a lot of that, and I think that's that's fair. You know he's a young guy, he's coming into the league. But even five, six games in, now he's starting to feel a little more comfortable, yep. throw his weight around a little more. And there he was last night. You know, he he, he uh, hit Quinn Hughes. Not not a huge blow up, but he, he caught him with his head down and and hit him. And then clean hit. He, like there was nothing wrong yeah. with the hit. Oh yeah, no nothing wrong. But you know you know they're going to respond when their Norris Trophy, you know, front runner gets hit. And then uh, earlier in the game, JT he gave JT Miller quite a a bump at a very uh, opportune time, and Miller went flying into the net. And that could have easily drawn a penalty, but it didn't. But either way, um, that's the way he's he's playing. And uh, he told me, he said, oh, sorry, buddy, I didn't even see you there. You, know, you were in my way. That's what he said about hitting Miller into the net. <laughs> but, you know, Philip DiGiuseppe, tough guy. He wanted to fight uh, the kid right away. Uh, the kid didn't want anything to do with it. Philip Roenick kind of stepped in, and they grabbed each other, and Pospisil really wrapped his arms around him and hung on. Didn't want to fight. It was pretty obvious. And I wanted to ask him, you know, is this a product of you over the years realizing that, I mean, you've missed more games than you've played in over the last four years on the farm, all because of injuries. And, uh, you know, you know, is that why you didn't fight? Or is it because you guys were up by a goal? Uh, or is it because, anyway, he just said, there's no need for me to fight right there. I'll step in and fight anybody if some one of my teammates gets rocked, especially if it's dirty, I'm going to be there all the time. But in a situation like that, there was no need to fight. And I don't disagree with him, but it just showed a maturity that I didn't think was there earlier in his career. And that's when he was said to me, and I hadn't heard this number before, but you know, he said, I, I've had five concussions. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last one he thought had maybe end his career. Um, you know, Wes Gilbertson wrote a, a good column on this uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and I wanted to kind of follow up on that too with him. And, you know, he, he very much thought his career might've been over because he went three months and he wasn't getting any better after a fight last year, his first concussion and his fifth concussions were both courtesy of 
of fights. And I, and I think some people might remember the one in 2019 when he fight, fought Colby Cave and it went viral. It was one of those ugly ones where he just got caught and he was knocked unconscious immediately yep. and he was kind of convulsing on the ice. He was unconscious. And then anyway, so, you know, in between there, he's had knee surgery, he's had shoulder surgery. I mean, the kid's just gone through it all. He never knew if he was ever going to play in the National Hockey League. But good on him for understanding uh, there's a time and a place. You don't just go and recklessly throw your body around and then just you know, deal with the consequences by dropping the gloves. He's really uh, matured in that regard too, and he's learned that in the American Hockey League. He's translating it here in the NHL. I do think he's gonna, you're going to continue to see him hitting guys all over the place and being challenged. And I'm not, it's not being a coward to turn down fights when it just doesn't make sense to, to, to have a fight because that could have changed the momentum of that game last night. It was a 2-1 game yep. for the Flames. And the Flame, Noah Hannafin ends up scoring like 30 seconds later. Um, if that kid fights and loses the fight, which he very well could have, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. And they go into the end of the second period, just clinging to a one-goal lead, and it's everything, anybody's game then. So I just... And it, the beautiful thing is if, 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 if you can get to the bottom of the column, and Lord knows most of my readers can't, but if you get near the bottom of the column, you, you, you see there's just this beautiful sentiment where he, he says, you know, like, in quiet times right now, it's only six games in, but he's got a couple, couple goals, a couple assists. He's second on the team in plus minus at plus five in, in just six games. But he says, you know, I sit here and I, want, I can't believe – from where I've come from and how incredibly uh, humbled I am by this opportunity and thankful for all the help I've had along the way, but also just how um, lucky I've been to have gone through all these concussions, all these injuries, and still got this opportunity. And he's obviously made the most of it, which is a beautiful story. And everybody loves those stories. And so I just wanted to dig a little deeper into how his mindset has changed over the year. And he has matured quite a bit. And I'm, 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 I'm happy for him to do that. And well, as we're talking about that, I just want to play this clip from Ryan Huska postgame on Thursday night because he was asked about Pospisil and, and asked uh, specifically about the goal and uh, how how things, because remember, as you talked about, like he lays that hit and the Canucks are upset and all of a sudden they get running around and a few seconds later the Flames are up 3-1. This was Ryan Huska postgame. He got them running around a little bit with a clean hit um, and he, You'd expect that when you hit um, one of their their star players for sure. But um, he went to the net hard today. He did the things that make him a good player. So yeah, he he did a lot of good things too. And, and yeah, I I noticed the exact same thing. You know, it reminded me of. And you're gonna find the comparison very strange. I wonder if you remember this or not. But this would have been about a decade ago, and a little bit more than a decade ago. And it was a game between the Flames and New Jersey Devils. And uh, the Devils lost at the Dome. And uh, TJ Brody was very, very young in his NHL career. Like, he would have been maybe like 30 games, 40 games into his career, if not less. And at the end of the game, he laid a hit on Zach Parise of the New Jersey Devils. And Parise was just livid and chirping him in the locker room afterwards, saying, like, I don't even know this guy's name. Like, how dare he hit me? Like, you know, how, how many games do you have? Seven NHL games? Like, who is this guy trying to make a name for himself? Well, like that, we know that's not how TJ Brody plays the game, especially now. And TJ Brody's, mm -hmm. you know, going to hit a thousand games and he's going to have a great NHL career. But it just, it speaks to kind of the, the weirdness of the NHL hierarchy. Like, if I, I, 
yeah, you get hit, like a, a star player gets hit, usually you're going to have some sort of response. But the fact that it was Martin Pospisil in his sixth NHL game who had the gall to finish a check on Quinn Hughes, it's like, oh, well, now they're really going after this. This guy doesn't know his place. I just, I find that very interesting. It's, it's part, one of the weird, slightly annoying, unwritten rules of the NHL. Yeah. Yeah, and it was a it was a clean hit. The coach oh, said it. We, we all saw it. And it's funny when it first happened. We I, I needed a replay for me to realize it. Well, actually, wasn't that big a hit. It more of their 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 skates and knees got caught. Like it wasn't. He didn't blow them up. And uh, and so yeah. But but you know what? It it's just the perfect tonic for another team to go. I don't even know your name. Uh, you can't be touching. Uh, you can't be touching you know, our star player like that. So yeah. I, I, anyway, I just think it's the, the kids really made an impression and it's amazing when the question that I kept asking today was about what's changed. You lost six games in a row. And now this six games, you guys are four, one and one what's changed. And everybody had a different kind of approach to why it's changed. But most of the people's opinion included the two rookies. And it, that's, the, that's the sort of impact they have. Like, there's no question in my mind that the best line on the ice last night was Zari, Kadri, and, and Pospisil. And, and they had no points. Yep. They didn't score a goal. I'm not even sure they had a lot of great scoring chances, but they were relentless with their forecheck, and they were authors of that, I will, I'll call it the shift. And you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the shift. Anyone who watched the game last night, they had about a 40 or 50-second shift in the offensive zone and then eventually the Canucks tripped Kadri. And then there was about another 50-second delayed penalty. Yep. So for about two minutes, the Calgary Flames controlled all of the play, all because of a setup, you know, a, a relentless forecheck by that trio. So it's those guys have had a massive impact. And no, are they the two players you build your entire franchise around, like you kind of alluded to earlier, like, like Pedersen or JT Miller? No, they're not. These guys are probably second, third line players their whole career. Who knows? But but the reality is they've injected a, an energy and an optimism and an excitement mm -hmm. in that dressing room. Never mind the fan base in that room. These guys really appreciate what they've done for this team, which is crazy. It's crazy to think that two guys who most people probably thought they weren't even going to see on this team. I'm not sure anybody in this city thought possible. So was ever going to play in the National Hockey League with all the injuries he's had. Um, but but here he is, and and they're making an impact. It's it's a neat story. The, well, even in the midst of all this turmoil, there are still some really cool stories that keep people going to the rink these days, and and those rookies are two of them. Is is that not the biggest positive of this season? And and not just that Zaring and Pospisil have been good. That's part of it. But going all the way back to May when Craig Conroy was introduced and he said, we, we want to get younger. We want to be a team that gives younger players more of an opportunity. And then they do. They didn't bring in a whack of PTOs in training camp and they let young players fight for spots. And Matt Coronado was one of the young players who made the team out of camp. And then as the years gone along, they've made room for young players by putting veterans on waivers. Jordan Osterley and 
Dryden Hunt have both hit waivers and are both in the American Hockey League right now, and they've made room for Solovyov for a couple of games. Ilya Solovyov played over veterans at the Heritage Classic, the, the hallmark game of the regular season for the Flames, and now Zary and Pospisil are here, and the Flames put Hunt on waivers to make sure those guys could could stay, so they're getting, they're, they're following through on something, and then that follow-through is also bearing some really positive fruit. To me, yeah, there's been lots of negatives, and, and who knows if they make the playoffs, and who knows if they blow this thing up or not, but the fact that they have said something, followed through on that something, and now that is turning into a real positive on and off the ice, that, that's a big-time early season success story that I think it's important to keep pointing out, especially amidst all the other negative stuff that's swirling around this team. And as you alluded to, not only are these two young rookies right now making a name for themselves and, and making an impact, uh, you know, Coronado, like you said, will be get called. He'll get called up any day. Who knows when? I mean, there's no rush, uh, but he's putting up some good numbers yeah, down there on the farm. There. Yeah, as and, and get building up his confidence. And then, of course, Jacob Pelche is another guy who, you know, at some point, it's going to be still another month or two. Um, he's going to come in and bring all sorts of energy and excitement and, and youthful exuberance, you know, and the guys just love him in that room. So that, that'll be another one. I'm not sure where these guys are all going to fit. I mean, I, at some point, maybe some of these guys are going to have to go back down. I don't know. Or maybe by then, some of the veterans, these UFAs we've been talking about, have been traded, and these are the kids who are going to step in and fill their boots for the, for the short term. It's all very fascinating to see. Listen, I know that there's a, a large sentiment that this ownership group does not want to do a teardown build, a rebuild. And I don't think they're capable, this organization's capable of doing a teardown of the studs rebuild because you're going to have the Cadre and the Huberto contracts that are basically unmovable for the, for the time being. You've got, but, but the excitement in this city, I mean, you can do a retool on the fly. I think that's what they're already doing in some regards because of all these young guys who are, are muscling their way mm -hmm. into the lineup. And so, you know, everyone talks about it being a, a massive shift. Um, I, I think it's already underway and, and I think it's just going to continue to kind of evolve as the season goes on. So anyway, the, just because the team hasn't been great to start the season doesn't mean there's not a lot of intrigue, great storylines. And, and, and I dare say some excitement as people look to the future. Before we let you go, uh, congratulations. Another $60,000 raised uh, at this year's Eric Francis Pizza Pig Out. Well done, my friend. Oh, I appreciate it, my man. Thank you, Calgary. I always joke, thank you from the bottom of my stomach for uh, <laughs> supporting supporting our little pizza party. And uh, and there's so many sponsors to thank and pizzerias and, and people. And we sold the joint out, over 600 people in the building, over 500 pizzas. And uh, Joey Chestnut was a superstar. And, uh, and I encourage everyone to go to ericfrancispizzapigout.com. Please go and check out the, the pizzerias that were the top-rated ones. Um, these are these are the ones that are the lifeblood of the of the whole event that have helped us raise over 1.2 million dollars for our local community, getting kids off the sidelines for kids sport. Um, go and support them. Not only are they the best pizzerias and restaurants in the city, without question, but they're also great for our community. They, they give back. So do your part and give back to them, and enjoy some great pizza at the same time. Uh, we'll do it again next week uh, from Dallas, I believe. Yes, yes, I will be there live from Dallas. I'm looking forward to this road trip. There's some neat cities, some interesting games. And and the last thing I'll say, you know, I, a couple of weeks ago I said, this is, there's a two, there's about a 10 
10 day to two week window where we're really going to see where, which direction this organization is going to have to move. After this road trip, the Calgary Flames play five games in a row against absolute juggernauts. Yep. Well, at the tail end of it, it's Dallas, and then they move on and play all sorts of juggernauts. Colorado, Vancouver, Vegas. Yep. Yeah, Vegas, Colorado. So that may really be the one to show us where this team sits. But in the meantime, they need to rack up points before they get to that uh, murderer's row of, of opponents. Great stuff, pal. Have a great weekend. We'll see you at the Dome on Saturday. Thank you, man. Thanks, pal. Great chat with you. Always take care. Eric Francis is on Twitter at Eric Francis. And that is your Eric Francis hour on this Friday. The Eric Francis hour brought to you by horse racing, Alberta, the Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary. Annually visit the 18 plus please play responsibly.